All right, well, hello, everyone. Uh, it's me, Luke, here under all this hair. I know you've been noticing it's been growing out. Nothing gets by you guys, I'll tell you. The boy band is not quite coming along yet. Um, I'd asked Brian Head Welch if he wanted to join when he was here, but uh, something about his other band, so he's not doing that. But welcome to everyone. If you're online or you're at any of our campuses, Edgewood, Abingdon, Aberdeen, Mountain Road. And if it's maybe your first time back being with people, welcome back. Or if it's your first time ever, glad you're here. Uh, by now you know that in addition to the people that we have in the room, uh, there, also, there also is an elephant in the room, and we've made this commitment to talk about it. And I know that's not really how everyone prefers to operate in the presence of some big, obnoxious, awkward, uh, tension-creating thing, some of us then to just ignore it and keep on trucking. We, you know, the discomfort of it hovering over every aspect of our lives is, like, not worth it to, you know, the discomfort of steering toward it and dealing with it and confronting with it. And I, I know that it can be uncomfortable to talk about finances, Right? Um, because, well, one, this is sort of a private area. We tend to keep these things kind of close to the vest. And then, two, because the situation in which we find ourselves, right? Ben was talking last week. He was giving away candy bars, right? If you were here, you remember. You maybe got a candy bar. That's about all he got. But no, no, he got a candy bar revealing these high percentages of people feeling the financial Nestle crunch or as if money is just slipping through their butterfingers. And it's not all of us, but it's, it's a lot of us. It was remarkable to see some of that. And even if you've got money, that doesn't solve all of the issues, and, and it creates so much uh, relational tension and all of that. And then three, it can be especially hard to talk about money and uncomfortable when you're talking about money in church, right? Is there anything more cliche than talking about money in church? In fact, if you brought people with you, you're already, you already said, hey, look, we don't always do this, okay? It's not always like this, all right? And it's not, okay? We don't always talk about it, but we're not afraid to. Especially when there are dynamics at play that are sucking the joy right out of life and imprisoning us in debt and worry and creating stress in relationships, all because of something that can be so good, something that can bring a lot of joy to life. Money, it can enrich us, it can help us flourish, it can be a blessing, it can be a way that we help other people flourish. Money is not the root of all evil. It's not what the Bible says, we'll get to more of that later. You know, oftentimes, if you've got money problems, it's not really money that's the problem. You know, it doesn't have so much to do with, with what's in here, but what's in here and, and what's in here. That's, that's where it happens. You know, money goes and stays where you tell it to go and stay. Like Ben, he's showing off last week how he can train his dog and how he can train money. It can obey his commands. It stays where you put it. Now, today, you could say that we're also trying to teach some things to obey, but uh, the thing is, is actually us. Like, can, can we obey? Can, can, we, can we stay? Can we heal? Rather than just chasing after everything that we see. Can, can we have a relationship with money that is marked by contentment? Word of the day. Contentment. Now, my, my eighth grade daughter, we were driving the car. This is Tuesday. We're driving the car. She's telling me about school and a class where the teacher will often ask a warm-up question just to get the class talking, and they, they have this thing to discuss. And on that particular day, the question was this, can money buy happiness? And the class was divided. Uh, there were some pretty strong opinions that were shared on both sides. A pretty lively discussion ensued. Now, my daughter was proud to tell me that she and her group of friends were on the side of no. Money cannot buy happiness. I said, why not? And she said, well, because it can't buy love or friendship or any emotion, really. 
I said, well, I can buy ice cream, and that makes me pretty happy. But, you know, since that's not really for you, you know, I just won't get you any, okay? No, I didn't tell her that. I, and we didn't stop for ice cream. I said, good answer, good answer. Now, let's ask um, a similar question. What would it take for you to be content? What would it take for you to be content? Now, contentment connotes happiness, uh, satisfaction, like being at peace with the circumstances of my life. But I've noticed, and maybe you have too, contentment is elusive, right? It's something that we talk about and think about often as like it awaits us out in the future, but it's kind of hard to get a hold of in the present. Even the way I asked the question kind of implied that, right? Like, it would take more than you have now to be content, right? What would it take? And that's kind of the message that's really, it's reinforced everywhere we look. In fact, let's um, think about it like this, okay? I'm just going to roll this out here, and we'll kind of um, work our way that way. All right, let's say, let's say you've gotten this far, all right? You You got this much. All right, at some point, you're going to realize that you don't have that much, and, and you'll, you'll want to go get it. And, and that's okay. There's not necessarily anything wrong with that. We acquire the basic necessities of life just like this. Like if, if we don't have a job, or we don't have a job that can put a roof over our head, well then, at some point, we're going we're gonna to go get one. And, and that's, that's fine, okay? If, if I... Um, I'm in a situation where I can provide food and shelter and clothing for myself, but I can't provide that for someone else that I've become attached to, whether it's a spouse or a child. Well, then, you know, I, I got to go do that. I got I to pursue more. There's, there, there's this, this um, will to live that really drives us to acquire the things that we need. But there's a lot more down the path of more, and, and we all know this. So, like, I have a phone that does everything that I that I need it to do. Oh, well, but it's not, you know, it's not that phone. So, I, so I'm going to get that. Like, I have these shoes, but, but I don't, I don't have those shoes, so I'm going to get that. You know what else? You know what else I don't have? I don't have AirPods, okay? Uh, you know what else I don't have? I don't have one of those robot vacuums, all right? So I'm going to go get that. You know what else I don't have? I don't have um, the, the virtual reality headsets yet. I don't have one of those, so, so let, me, let me go get that. And in case I was ever in the dark about what I don't have, it's okay. I'm immersed in a culture that is incessantly reminding me what I don't have. Now, you can Google these stats on your own, okay? The numbers aren't for sure, okay? We're getting our best estimates here. But according to our best guesses, how many um, advertisements per day does the average person see? Just guess. How many advertisements per day do you think? A hundred? A million, come on, it's not a million. 750, okay, I've seen 4,000, I've seen 5,000, six, I've seen up to 10,000. Okay, let, let's just say, uh, those are estimates, okay, let's just say it's the 5,000 per day. So that means that since the start of the pandemic, you have seen 3 million ads, probably more because a lot of us have increased our media consumption during that time, but who's counting, okay? 3 million Messages reminding you, tempting you, assaulting you with the fact that you don't have this, you don't have this, you don't have this or this, you're not here yet, you're not here yet or here, you haven't gotten this far or this far or this far, okay? 
That, that, that's the essence of what these images and messages are trying to do. Trying to expose this gap. Like, ah, I, I don't have that. How, how can, I, I can't live with this. I can't live without that. Except when I get here, it's, it's the same thing. Ah, I, I, it, just, it just keeps going. And go, I mean, we, we can roll it out the room. There's always more down the path of more. And we would have to keep going. I mean, if you just keep going, a mile down the road, you know, you'll find um, Jake Paul, YouTuber. He's got tens of millions of dollars. But, you know, uh, like eight times past him is Steph Curry. He's got hundreds of millions of dollars. Keep looking. Almost 20 times farther than Steph Curry's Oprah. She's got billions of dollars. But you look 70 times further than Oprah. Is Jeff Bezos, Bezos, I don't know how to say his name, the Amazon guy, okay? Hundreds of billions of dollars. How many of those are your dollars, by the way? How much of your money does he got? Some of you are shopping on Amazon right now. Like, I'm done listening to this guy, okay? What is it going to take for you to be content? It's hard to answer that question, isn't it? And, and if it's not... <laughs> Hard because like what the marketers are telling us, then it's hard because of the thing that we do to ourselves through the comparison game, which, which can, not always, but it often happens through social media. And I realize, oh, well, I didn't, I didn't take as good a vacation as that family, or oh, I didn't have as pretty a wedding as, as these people. Oh, well, our, our Christmas isn't as big as theirs, and uh, I'm, must, they must be more content than I am because I'm just, I'm just way down here. And, and that's when some of us reach for the discontented person's favorite tool, the credit card, so that we can do things that at least make it seem like we're moving up and catching up, but really we're just, just getting farther behind. And, and those are the places where we start to feel the crunch or we need someone to throw us a lifesaver. So where does contentment lie? What would it take for you to be content. Now, I hope I'm not being obnoxious or overbearing, right? That's not, not, this is not an effort to pile on guilt. I know that so many of us, we feel enough weight already from the debt that we have. This is not trying to increase our shame. Becoming alert to these dynamics is an invitation to discover something better. It's an invitation to present yourself to God wherever you're at. Wherever you're at along this continuum, I don't care how much you got, whether you're living in a trash can or you're living wherever Oprah lives or somewhere in between, everybody needs to know God is not surprised by the mistakes that we make or the desires that we have. God does not consider you irredeemable. He doesn't believe that your situation is hopeless or beyond repair. Number three, God does love you. Not because of how much you have or how far you've got. No, you don't have to strive for it. It's a gift. You have it. You don't have to keep working for it. God loves you, wherever you are. And then fourth, God wants to meet you right where you are so that we can sift through all the lies of more and discover something true about our question. What does it take to be content? You know, one of the troubles that many of us have is that we don't hang around many content people very much. And, and uh, 
the, the values that you instill in you and the traits and the skills that you pick up, so often that's because you're around people that possess those things, and that's how you get them, whether they're good or bad. And we're just not around very many content people. And that's one of the reasons that Jesus followers are, you know, trying to immerse themselves in the Bible, that we spend time with the Bible. It's a way to hang around Jesus, most importantly, and also to meet people, real people who are rooted in the world, just like we are, and are trying to take Jesus seriously and live out the calling and be the kind of people that he's called us to be, which is, is distinct from what just passes as normal, and we need something different than normal. Okay, now, there's someone Jesus wants us to meet, and uh, his name is Paul. Jesus chose him, and he said, you're going to be my representative to all the nations. And Paul spent his life living faithfully to that calling through many obstacles. And we know him now because of what he passed on to us by way of letters to uh, individuals and communities, and they're all bound up in, in, in our Bibles. Now, one of them is called Philippians. And just by way of general, general introduction, there are two things that people often note about the letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians. Number one, he wrote it in prison. So if you've never been there, you can just imagine the comforts. I don't know what the thread count of the sheets is. He doesn't tell us that. Number two, it's often called the letter of joy. Because Paul is so often using the words joy and rejoice in this letter that he's writing from prison. You ever been around someone whose attitude defied their circumstances? It's really, you're grateful to be around those people when, when like everything's a chaos, but their poise calms everyone down. When, when uh, tension is mounting and stress is mounting, but they're grace-filled and buoyant and forgiving, not taking themselves too seriously. Or when there's scarcity, but they're generous and trusting. That's Paul. Paul's one of those people. And at the end of his letter, um, he, he shares some things that are very personal words. It's a secret, even. This is a special relationship between friends, and we get to overhear it a little bit. It's actually a pretty famous part of the Bible, but it often gets misapplied. This is what he says in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 10. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord, that at last you renewed your concern for me. They had sent him some, some gifts. Now, you, you were always concerned for me, but you had no opportunity to show it until now. Now, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or whether hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want. And I can do all of this through Christ who gives me strength. And it's that last verse that's the famous one. It often gets plucked out and like put, put on the t-shirt. Maybe seen some of those t-shirts. We got one of those. There you go. Like some big powerful thing. It carries this tone of like, I can do all things. I'm unstoppable. Jesus, give me strength to do everything I can put my mind to. If I want to go be a billionaire, Jesus is going to bless that and make it happen for me. But Paul's not speaking like that. He's not speaking like he's some achiever, some winner. He's got all the battles won. His life's been up and to the right every single time because of Jesus. It's not the model of progress, always you know, doing better than his parents did, doing better than the neighbors did. Thank you, Jesus, so I'm content. No. His commitment to Christ has led him to be the dog and the fire hydrant, the benefactor and the beggar at times. And he's like, you know what, I, I know. I know what it's like to be down here. And I, I know what it's like to be down here. And my pursuit is not about trying to get more and win this kind of game, but my pursuit is to discover deeper and deeper levels of contentment and joy and peace at every single step, whether the world views that as a step forward or a step backward. 
I mean, you think, huge step back, being in prison, right? I mean, no one wants to be in jail, especially not for doing good things like Paul was doing. A tremendous setback for a go-getter like him. This is a guy who traveled all over the known world. Now, some of you are like this. You know, you're busy. You're traveling all the time. You're working really hard. You're making things happen. But Paul, he's locked down. He can't do his job in the same way, and it's not even fair. How does he put up with it? How does he have an attitude that defies his circumstances? How does he not lose hope? How does he not lose focus? Because of Christ who strengthens him. That's what he means in Philippians 4.13. It's not I can do all things. It's I can bear the weight of everything that has been thrown at me, whether I've got a little or I've got a lot. And right now, it ain't that great for him. This is not a Dave Ramsey story, like I was bankrupt and now I'm a millionaire. And that's fine if that's your story. It's just that Paul doesn't speak from that place. He speaks from the painful, messy, difficult middle and says, Christ gives me the ability to be content in places where it doesn't even make sense to be content. Like even when I'm sidelined from achieving what I had planned, I know a secret to living. And it doesn't have to do with going viral on YouTube. Not that that's, if you do, then that's fine. But popular or not, rich or poor, well-fed or hungry, this is what I know. Christ has not abandoned me. My value hasn't waned no matter where I'm at. My identity as a child of God remains the same. God's character remains the same. His promises are still true. Just like we sang today, he is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. That's what I need to be content. That's why I can rejoice in all circumstances. Is anyone alive today to say amen or something like that? We need to be around people like that. Everyone who goes to a place like Kenya... We saw some images of this last week. Uh, go on the virtual mission trip. You'll, you'll see some of those too. Okay, where they go, what do they come back saying? What do they come back saying? Well, number one, poverty in the slums is, is, is awful. And it, it is. It is overwhelming. And we need to do something for those people to help them get more access to resources for a life that can thrive. Okay, and, and we are. But what do they also say? Especially of the Christians that they meet. Oh, they're, they're so happy. Like, there's so much peace, so much joy. So, yes, we have something to offer them. And that's why we sponsor kids. That's why we invest so much there. But they seem to know a secret that we don't. Finding contentment in places of extreme need that surpasses our contentment with so much more. Cultivating Gratitude, right where they are. Being grateful for what they have and not complaining about what they don't. That's what I'm emphasizing to my kids all the time. If only I could learn it first. You know, it's powerful when you're around people who are content. 
I was inspired when I heard a story of a couple in our church. They're more of the, the senior uh, category, living on a fixed income. And they noticed that in the, in the midst of the pandemic, where they were locked down, couldn't really do anything, they noticed that their expenses actually weren't quite as high. And instead of grasping for more, they decided, you know what? This is an opportunity for us to give more, to be more generous. And so they increased what they were giving away. Gratitude, generosity, that's a lifetime of learning to be content in all circumstances. There's some people who are getting on uh, this path as a result of Financial Peace University, which many of us are doing right now. Um, Here's one of them. This is the story of Dave's last new truck. It was 2018, and given my truck was 19 years old, I figured I deserved to buy myself my last new truck. Now, not wanting a huge payment, I withdrew from my 401k for the down payment. And then I bought myself a brand new F-150 XLT with all the cheese. (laughs) But then, this spring, tree sap fell on the hood and the roof of my truck, causing the paint to bubble up and chip. At this point, I didn't want my still new truck to have those blemishes or even have an aftermarket paint job. So I thought I would trade it in for yet another new truck. You know how us truck guys can be. With the truck market being what it is today, a few new trucks available, I went and I got a few quotes to sell my truck, figuring I would buy one when the market improved, but the numbers just weren't very reasonable. And then my wife and I started the FPU classes at Mountain, and I started to rethink our family finances. I'd always been free with money and credit, but thankfully my wife had kept us somewhat in check over the years. I thank God for her. Directly after watching the second FPU video on paying off debt, I got in my truck and I drove like a gazelle to CarMax. My wife probably thought I was nuts. On the way to CarMax, I had a conversation with God, and I asked him to get me $40,000 for my now three-year-old truck. When I got the offer, I was well pleased and that the offer was exactly $40,000. Needless to say, I couldn't get the words sold out of my mouth quick enough. The money we recouped after paying off the truck loan will be very close to paying off all of our debt, less our mortgage, and we hope to pay that off in just a few years with God's help. Thank you, God, and Mountain and FPU for getting us on the right track. People who've learned to be content have a story to tell. You know, a lot of us live with that entitlement, like, I deserve this. Dave said it, right? And being in debt, it's just so normal. Like it takes someone who's actually gotten out of it. It takes someone who's given away shiny things as opposed to accumulating shiny things, which is also so normal. Like we need them to tell us of the wonder and the freedom of finding contentment in a place where you didn't expect it because of Jesus. We need examples like this because so few people are living as if they know the secret to contentment. And Paul, for one, he doesn't want it to stay a secret. He's got a burden for helping people, people figure this out. And we'll go back to him one more time, okay? Make the last move here. Um, you hear him talking to the Philippians, and they're starting to figure it out. And then uh, Paul's trying to pass along this wisdom to the next generation. And so if you flip forward a few pages in your Bible, you get to two letters to a young man named Timothy. First and second Timothy. Paul's writing to Timothy. This is protege, right? And Timothy is in a challenging situation. He's trying to lead a community of Jesus followers in a place where they are all over the place being challenged by different ideas of what the good life is. In a cosmopolitan setting, uh, temptations and and pressures on all sides all of the time at every turn. And at the end of the letter, Paul's going to get real pointed on this, this money stuff. 
with Timothy, talking to him about that specifically. And he says, look, I know you got, you got people there that you're trying to lead who believe that godliness is a means to financial gain. Like they think they can use Jesus to get further down the track of more. But it ain't like that, he says. First Timothy chapter 6. He says, godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. You know, those who want to get rich, they fall into a temptation. They're actually falling into a trap, into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered away from their faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You know, not every part of the Bible like translates into our culture today just exactly and very easily, but I feel like he's kind of reading our situation. I don't think that needs a lot of translation. People have been chasing more for a long time. And, and you know what? When that's your number one pursuit, when, when your deepest love is the accumulation of more, then you can get all you want. But you, but you still end up trapped like a man in prison. Jesus himself said, no one can serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money. And Paul's encouraging us not to try. And then this is important, okay? What, what Paul's actually doing here, he's going to, um, he, he's going to lay down a new track. This is important for the, the go-getters and the achievers, right? Because we wouldn't want to just assume that being content, uh, that contentment is passive, all right? Or that, that there's no hard work involved. And so what he's actually doing next is he's going to lay down uh, a whole new track. Uh, Andrew, you going to catch this for me so it doesn't roll off the stage? That'd be great. That wasn't not planned, but it was a good trick. Thank you. Uh, so he's going to lay down a new track here, if you keep going, in um, 2 Timothy chapter 6. Um, you, you heard uh, Dave in his story. He said, thanks for getting me on the right track. And Paul, yeah, he talks about it in that way. They probably both agree. You know what? If you're going to just race down this track, that, that's going to fill you with many griefs. But Paul says, you know what? You be different. He says, you, man of God, you flee from all of this. Okay? Flee from all that. Don't, don't, be, messing, don't be fleeing down the track. You flee from that. And instead, you pursue righteousness. Godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. Godliness with contentment is great gain because, because it sets you free to go after something else. You can say yes to something truly good, to something eternal. Okay? You want to you chase something? Let's do it like this. You want to chase something? Pursue righteousness. Go after that. P pursue godliness. Pursue faith. Pursue love. Pursue endurance. Go after those things. Pursue gentleness. Go after that. See, wherever you are, wherever you are on this track, okay, it, it doesn't matter. Wherever you are on this track, God wants to, he wants to teach you to be content, and he wants to take you on a new path in, in pursuit of a real kind of life. And you know what? It's not, it's not a life of, of asceticism, like you've got to strip everything away. Now, it, it might cause you to rethink some things like $40,000 trucks or $400,000 vacation homes, 
or $40 sweatshirts or $4 lattes. As you pursue this path, all of those things are going to have to be reprioritized on this new track. But listen to what Paul tells Timothy. Verse 17, he says, command those who are rich. Now, don't rule yourself out of that. I, I, I mean, even if you're way down here, we, we got more than the rest of the world, or the richest society that's ever existed. I'm not trying to minimize the pain of anyone in the moment. But just listen to what he is saying. Command those who are rich in the present world, not to, don't be arrogant. Don't put your hope in wealth. It's so uncertain. Why would you do that? But put your hope in God, who richly provides with everything we need for our enjoyment. Command them to do good. Command them to do good. Command them to be, to be rich in good deeds. Command them to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up for themselves treasures as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. You see, Paul has built his whole life and reprioritized his whole life because of his belief that the richness and beauty of heaven is going to invade this earth when Jesus comes to restore all things. And all of that ain't going to matter. But anyone who lets Jesus take a hold of their life can build a foundation right now that will live on into that new world. It's the life that is truly life. And it's only that hope. It is only this Faith, it makes any sense of why someone would forsake the pursuit of more and more. Contentment ultimately takes root when we're, we've got to be captivated by a new story. We need a better story than that one. We've got to be captivated by a new story, a new hope, a new dream of what God is doing, of what God has done to restore us, of what God is doing to remake the world through love and joy and peace and goodness and everything that his spirit brings to life that can't be bought for any price. Pursue it and you will find a life worth living. That's the dream that we need. Taste it. You will see that it is good. That's the dream that needs to sink into our consciousness three million times over. This is the life that is truly life. This is what's lasting. No matter how many promises this makes to you, it won't satisfy. Take it from a guy who has learned to be content in every situation. He has been richer in his poverty than anyone barreling down the track of more. Because he knows a secret. So what would it take for you to be content? The secret is not about getting further and further down this track and getting more and more. If we have food and clothing, we could be content with that. Because we have found a life that is truly worth pursuing. And it's a life available to anyone wherever they're at. So to try to bring it all home, I think the big idea for all of us is, and I'll say it this way, um, wherever you're at, let God, invite God to intersect your desires for more. Invite God to meet you in that place of your desires for more. Be honest about that. 
about your desires before God, okay? Yeah, you want more. We all do. The Christian life is a process of more and more submitting your desires to be in alignment with God's desires. God, teach me to want the right things. Take me down your path. Contentment is developed in that kind of way. And be content and be kind to yourself with any kind of progress in that direction. Now, practically, contentment uh, can be nurtured by some specific practices. You know, discipline yourself in these things, okay? Practice gratitude. Um, I was very inspired by Mindy two weeks ago. Mindy um, did some exceptional teaching on this. Go listen to that. She talked about a very simple discipline, and, and it's this. Whenever I find myself complaining or daydreaming about something that I don't have, I also, in that moment, I just express gratitude for something I do have. So, uh, oh, I wish I could go to Italy like the Joneses. Oh, okay. Um, I'm so grateful for the hike I got to take through the woods last weekend. Oh, man, I wish I had shoes like Brian Hancock. You know Brian Hancock? He's on our Aberdeen staff. Look at those shoes, man. He's always got the best shoes. I wish I had shoes like that. I think we've got another one of them in his Jordans, the ones. We've got another picture of Brian. Yeah, look at him, okay. I wish I had shoes like that. Oh, okay, okay. I thank God that I have more hair than Brian. No, that's not even right. That's, not, that's just another comparison game. I'm just kidding. That was just for me to make fun of Brian. But uh, you get the idea, right? You get the idea, right? 5,000 messages a day are telling you to complain about what you don't have. How will you amplify being thankful for what you do have? Practice generosity. This flows right out of, of, of the first one. Grateful people give more because they're content. You know, they're not always grabbing for more. And pe- you know, people come to God, they're seeking a blessing, and God does bless. He gives good gifts. But you know, Jesus said the interesting thing about it's more blessed to give than to receive. So really then, a blessing is there, available for anyone who's ready to give. Practice generosity. Practice uh, saying no. And nobody likes to do that. But you know what? You know what you do like? You know what is fun and fulfilling? It's when you say no to the endless pursuit of more, and then you can say yes to God. You you can learn contentment right where you are, wherever you are, and you can begin new pursuits, and you can discover that God does provide for people who have made this their primary pursuit. God knows how to give good gifts to his children. Practice simplicity. Declutter. Live with less. What could you live without? $40,000 truck? $4 $4 latte. There's someone in my group. That's one of the things. The morning coffee run is something that they have decided to live without. Okay? What is it for you? Pay off debt. We talked about this last week. The FPU tools are there and designed to help. They're free. If you didn't get into FPU this round, then sign up for the next round. I think we've got information. It starts in January. We've got information on our website. You can go there. Uh, debt may be piercing you with many griefs. And you're not going to fix it all in one day. But you can today start pursuing the right things. And you can be content and steadfast in that pursuit. We can train ourselves to be content. And it'll be a fight. Just like Paul told Timothy. It'll be a fight. But but if we can get a better vision for life, and if we can allow God to shape and reshape our wants, then we too can learn the secret of being content in every situation.